Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is a diversity-focused, early-stage venture capital fund based in New York. We're on the mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. In this season of the podcast, we're speaking with diverse angel investors and having them share their journey and lessons learned along the way. Follow along as Tona Abaze leads the conversation. I didn't really understand what an angel investor was until probably a couple of years ago. I was just meeting so many of these dope founders and advising them. And then at some point they were like, would you invest? And I'm like, how can I invest? Don't I got to be a VC firm? And they're like, nah, man, you can invest out of your own personal balance sheet. And I was like, what? I feel like it's been this world's best kept secret, man especially for black and brown folks, right? It's really an opportunity to build generational wealth for what you would spend on a nice vacation, right? Like take that Bali and Tulum trip and turn that into to an angel investment. Hi everyone, this is your host, Tono Abase, Venture Fellow at Harlem Capital. In this season, I'll be uncovering the tips and tricks to being a successful angel investor from your favorite founders, operators, and venture capitalists. Today, I'll be talking to Devaris Brown, founder and co-CEO of Maroxa, a startup providing real-time data platforms to businesses, which has raised nearly $20 million in venture funding. In this episode, you'll hear about how Devaris's journey led him to angel investing and get insight into his cheat codes for evaluating startups before you write your first check. Devaris gives founders and angel investors the inside scoop as he shares how to best navigate the relationship from both sides. Hi, Devaris. It is so great to have you here on the HCP Angel Investor Series podcast. For anybody who doesn't know who you are, I'm just going to start out by telling a little bit about you. You've worn multiple hats, so I want to give our audience a sense of who they're talking to. Devaris Brown is the CEO and co-founder of Maroxa, a VC-backed company enabling teams of any size and level of expertise to build real-time data pipelines in minutes, not months. Prior to founding Maroxa, Devaris was a product leader at Twitter, Heroku, Visco, and Zendesk. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Tona. Absolutely. Well, you know why we're here today. We're here to talk a little bit about angel investing to just give our community a sense of what it means to be an angel investor, how your story has evolved, and how this role has really impacted your life and empowered you to help others seek their potential. So I'd love to just take a step back and get a little bit of background outside of the bio. Where did you grow up? What jobs did you have? Who are you outside of your resume? Yeah, I grew up south side of Chicago. I went to University of Illinois. I had the fortunate circumstance of my mom being in tech very, very early. And so I was a teenager during the first dot-com boom. And she worked for a startup. Basically, it was like a consulting agencies, and they built websites for other people. And so one of those was MVP.com, which was uh, Michael Jordan and Joe Montana had their first sports memorabilia website that ended up getting, being bought by CBS Sportsline. So when I was like 14, I uh, basically saw these like 18, 19 year olds dropping out of college, making all types of money, driving cars that look better than my local neighborhood drug dealers, right? And I'm like, yo, what are y'all doing? Like, man, what is going on? They're like, yo, we programming. And so I asked my mom in the startup at the time had like a book allowance. So she would let me buy a book and come in and just ask questions from people. And that's basically what I ended up doing and teaching myself how to program. 
from that, I ended up going to University of Illinois, doing a bunch of research and studying math and computer science. Be honest, like I study partying and bullshit. At the end of the day, it was just getting to know people and, and, and getting to associations with people. And that's really all it's been. I ended up linking up with a professor and we ended up having some dope research projects together. And some of those ended up getting commercialized or bought by, you know, Microsoft. That was my first job. And for me, that that's really what it was, was just kind of leveraging relationships and using my expertise and, and knowing my cheat codes, right? Like I know that I'm a singular black face and a very very white place. I mean, you went to Penn, right? So you know what it is, right? At the end of the day, I took advantage of every program possible that was like diversity because I knew it was like one of five of me in the entire computer science department. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I started off at and how I ended up getting into the tech space. I just knew from a very early age that this was going to be the way of the future. And I knew some way, somehow I had to be involved in it. I love that bit on finding your cheat code. Definitely a hacker's mindset. I can tell that you started out as an engineer. It's super exciting to see that you had exposure to tech at a very young age, which is something that a lot of people in the diverse community cannot say. I'm intrigued. When you were growing up, what did you want to be? Did you want to be an angel investor? Did you know that that was even an option for you? Nah, but you know, the funny thing is I would posit that most black folks, especially in our community, do have access to tech. They have access to tech as a consumer, but they never ask the question, yo, how can I be a producer, right? So you think about like little man, man, and little mama got iPhones at like six years old, the iPads and all this other stuff, but they never ask like, yo, how can I make apps and games and things like that, right? It's always just downloading and or they got playstations and they got all this type of stuff so you're bombarded by technology it's just a it's just a simple mindset shift right ask the question how can i be a producer rather than a consumer so i'll push back on that a little bit honestly when i grew up i always knew i wanted to be in tech i mean and it's super crazy because maybe about a couple years ago my mom was cleaning out her garage and she showed me a business plan that i wrote when i was back in the day i had to be like 12, 13 or something like that. And I wrote on some legal pads or whatever. And basically it was a startup that taught people how to be programmers called crunch.com and she laminated it. So if ever, whenever I get an office, that's something I'm a a hang up, but I've always known I wanted to do something in this space some way, somehow. You know, obviously I got other interests and I tried other things as you should do. But for me, I just knew I was always going to end up doing this. Definitely laminate that business plan. It's interesting to see how that ties to some of the work that you've done in your endeavors and companies you've built. So clearly influence from tech came from mom. When did you first learn about angel investing? Where were you in your journey and how did that concept come about for you? I would say I didn't really understand what an angel investor was until probably a couple of years ago, to be honest. I was at Heroku, and since Heroku was a Y Combinator company, we would do Heroku office hours. And I was just meeting so many of these dope founders and advising them in the official Heroku capacity. And then at some point they were like, yo, bro, like we would love to have you on our cap table. Would you invest? And I'm like, how can I invest? Like, don't I got to be a VC firm and like all this other stuff? And they're like, nah, man, you can invest out of your own personal balance sheet. And I was like, what? And so then that's when I started like looking at it and understanding what it was. And 
there was a homie of mine, Abdul, who was their first round capital back then. And he literally had just started first rounds angel track program. So me and him just started talking about what it took to be an angel investor. And yeah, that's really how I got started with angel investing. I feel like it's been this world's best kept secret, you know, man, especially for, you know, black and brown folks, right? Like now it's starting to get a little, I feel like once Nipsey, you know, got a little popular, everybody started talking about ownership and all this other stuff. Like it started to get more mainstream, but you know, it's crazy. Like once I started asking questions and talking to my friends, they were like, yeah, I've been angel investing for years. I'm like, bro, why didn't you tell me this? And it says, why didn't you tell me this? Right? Why like, didn't you put me on? <laughs> no, man. It, but it still is really just like relationship based thing. But like, you know, still got that kind of gatekeeping mentality. Once I found out the type of person I am, as you can see throughout my history, then that's when I just started putting other folks on and teaching them and passing them on opportunities and stuff like that. Because it's really an opportunity to build generational wealth for what you would spend on a nice vacation, right? Like take that Bali and Tulum trip and turn that into to an angel investment, right? The one thing that showed me when Uber went public, it was all these people that were angel investors putting in 2,500, 5,000 coming out as millionaires, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, this is, I definitely got to do this. Like it's not going to be the full extent of my financial portfolio, but it definitely has to be a significant piece, all right? That to me, just be a little bit more smarter with your money. You can literally level up just one time being smart about where you put your money at. I mean, you bring up an excellent point about accessibility to information and accessibility to opportunity to even know angel investing was a thing. What's fascinating is that you were a founder before you were an angel investor, but you don't need to be Nipsey Hussle or a founder to be able to become an angel. Interested to hear, as you were learning about angel investing, did you participate in any programs or trainings? Did you find them helpful and would you recommend them to others? Yeah, I did first round capitals, angel track program. That was super useful. But honestly, just started talking to my homies that I started realizing that they was investing and and all of that. And, and here's the funny thing, right? When I started inquiring about making angel investments, most of the companies or investors would be non-black. And so they would always say, hey, do you know this person? And I'm like, Yo, who is this person? Like nine times out of 10, there'll always be another black angel investor. And so I just started building up a network that way and just asking questions and things like that. And so for me, it's, it's always just having this mindset of community and kind of each one teach one. And if I know, then everybody knows and, and everybody's going to get access to those opportunities. So I think for us, because there's so few of us in this space that look like us, like it's incumbent upon us to disseminate that knowledge and disseminate that information however we get it. Because literally, like I said, it's generational wealth being transferred and, and only a select few of us are, are participating at a, at a scale that's meaningful, right? And that's just something that, that we have to continue to feed the ecosystem so everybody can get access and opportunity to make these investments. It's wonderful to hear that you're an advocate for both methods of learning, whether it's doing a program and also the self-taught method of using your community and your network. I think it would be great to take a step back and understand people think of angel investing. They think about giving the capital, but what is the role of an angel investor to you? What has that role meant and how has it helped you create impact? The angel investor is number one, to be the earliest believer. For me, it's just one of those things where because I've had so much experience on the product side 
and the tech side, I feel like that's the best thing that I can bring is, is like, yo, I'm gonna help you kind of zero to one, help you remove any of the roadblocks and help you focus on what actually matters, right? One of the things that as an angel investor is you have to figure out what your superpower is. And it's not gonna be the same for every company. For me, it's like product tech, kind of early stuff, then getting to, to the experiment that you need to send a signal to help you raise subsequent round. Other thing I realize I'm really good at is just introducing folks. Because I pay attention and I'm in tune with, you know, a lot of different people, I can just connect dots. Like, oh, you're trying to do this thing. This person's trying to do this thing. Y'all should just meet, right? Like, it's really it. Those are really the things that I bring as an angel investor. But for any angel investor out there, you really just have to figure out what your superpower is. And, and you use that to sell to early, you know, founders. It's like, I can help you do these like three things. And like, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really all you want to do is like, you can remove those earlier barriers and help founders focus. There's greener pastures down the line, so. It's exciting to hear you talk about the value that angel investors bring, because I think it makes it a really tangible way for people to ask themselves, what is my superpower? For you, Devaris, you've seen both sides of the table. You've been a founder. You've been that person leading product. When you're interacting with angel investors from the founder side, what makes you want to work with an angel investor? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes for both sides of the fence, right? If I'm an angel investor, if I'm an entrepreneur, you have to understand the dynamics of that relationship, especially if I'm angel investing at a, at a very early stage, that is the most expensive equity that the company's ever gonna give out. And so again, this goes back to the superpower thing, right? What value are you bringing to the company? It can't just be dumb money. And that's the thing I tell, you know, black founders, especially like we just want names that, that we see in the news, all in the news, all in the videos, all the time on our cap table. But like, what value are they actually bringing? You have to ask that question every single time that you bring an investor on the cap table. The person that may be the most well-known might not be able to help you at the earliest stages. They only do growth and growth stage investing, but they got a little bit of personal money, so they'll do it. Like, yeah, that, that might work out, but you want to find people that have been there, done that at the stage that you're at. The one thing I talk about, like investors like to talk about founder market fit. I'll talk about investor market fit. Has this person had operational experience in the field that you're starting a company in? Has this person made previous investments? Have they had previous exits, right? I think for me as an entrepreneur now, I look at that. That's how I, I filter the people at the earliest stages to come onto the cap table. You want smart money, you don't want dumb money. Because there'll be opportunities for people to, to come and invest if you're successful down the line. At least the, the initial investors, you want to make sure that they are the people that are going to help you reach your happy path and help you be successful. That to me is like why understanding the types of people that you want are so important. When you're an angel investor, you want to be that early believer. You want to empower someone to build their dreams. I would love to get a sense from you, since you're a founder, you may or may not have taken angel investing money from Roxa. What is the impact that those funds from an angel investor can have on a company? How do those angel investing checks impact growth? The checks really don't impact the growth as much. It's more about the person and what they can do for you. For instance, one of my angel investors is uh, Kelvin Beecham, right? I love this brother to death, man. This dude's like family now. Kelvin has been 
one of the most helpful person. And like literally every other, every week he calls me or texts me. It's like, yo, bro, what can I do to help, help you? What can I do? Put me to work for you. Which isn't anything like odd from an angel investor other than like Kelvin's a full-time professional NFL athlete that only invests in enterprise SaaS, that only invests in like data and platform companies. For me, that type of person is, is who I want. They can be force multipliers because they know everybody. They have networks and they have expertise to help you get from one place to the next, right? And so that's really what the, the impact is. It's not necessarily the money because if I'm raising a three to $4 million seed, right? Like I might have... 300,000 with the angels, right? Like, or 400,000 worth of angels. But it's really like how they can help you unblock you to be successful. And that's really what the value of a good angel can be, uh, especially at the earliest stages. The other part of that too is just optics. You have to craft your angels. So it sends a big signal out to the rest of the, the world. Like you are here for business. And so for me, I wanted to get people that have already been established in this space, like in the data space or platform space, People that have exited from competitors or would be perceived as competitors. So I ended up getting somebody from Segment, one of the authors of seminal data platforms, open source data platforms. I get somebody that's a executive in the data space. Just getting folks like that. And then those folks be super highly referenceable. They can do a diligence call for, for another VC for you. And they just talking to their homies. It's not like they're talking to people like cold calling. It's like, nah, these are people that have invested in the companies that they've done. So they're just doing you a solid investment, right? That's not to say that, that you don't want to get friends and family involved in it. You definitely want to make opportunities for, for, for the homies and, and for your family. But at the end of the day, you want to find people that, again, can be multipliers for you and reduce the amount of perceived risk there is from other investors to investing in companies at later stages. You have to be very, very intentional about the type of cap table that you're designing. I think in systems, I've looked at successful companies in their early stages and who they had. And I would just ask people like, yo, why'd you pick this person? Da, da, da. And like, just kept hearing similar things all around. So it's just like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. That's basically how I ended up getting the type of angels that I wanted and crafting the cap table. I mean, you've given us the insight into how you can bring value as an angel investor. You've definitely dropped some gems from the founder perspective on how you evaluate angel investors. So I want to shift gears a little bit and think from your investor mindset when you're diligencing companies. How do you approach due diligence? What are some of the things that you look for to check the box to say, this is a company that I feel is special. This is a founder or a market I feel is special. Yeah, I think for me, it's founder market fit plus my personal investment thesis, which is I only invest in data and platform companies and enterprise SaaS. Like I, I don't spread myself thin. I feel like a lot of angels do that. I mean, more power to you, right? But for me, it's just like, I know how to evaluate things in this, this lane. You know what I'm saying? I don't do everything. And I, I feel like that's something for me that is super important. The other thing too is just coming in with a prepared mindset, doing my homework and understanding the opportunity because these are unprecedented times. You know, I've the folks are raising money at valuations that are insane in the shortest amount of times. That to me is, I mean, it's healthy, it's a good market, but it's just like, yo, I, I just have to be ready to to be able to write a check. And so doing my homework ahead of time 
again, not spreading myself too thin and doing a whole bunch of stuff helps me be prepared for understanding what the value of this opportunity is in front of me. Those are the things I think about as an angel investor to really help me evaluate a company, evaluate opportunities. You talked about a focused investment thesis, and you also talked about doing your homework. I want to drill down on both of those things a little yeah. bit more for our audience that may not have diligence to company before. How did you come up with your investment thesis and what does it mean to you to do your homework before you talk to a founder? Yeah, I mean, I came up with my investment thesis. I just looked at my LinkedIn and just realized what I'm good at. <laughs> like We talked about cheat codes, right? My cheat code is that I've been early product manager, developer for a bunch of kind of foundational transformational technologies. I'm a platform person. I, I can do growth. I can do consumer stuff like my time at Visco and some other places. It just was a natural thing for me to be like, really some self-reflection. What am I the best in the world at, right? And I feel like everybody has to figure out what their cheat code and their superpower is. And then that helps filter everything else out, help me design my investment thesis. The second part of that question is, how do I diligence a company? Well, it's a few things. I look at founder market fit. Like, is this something that, they are intimately familiar with. Second thing is I look at their career history. Are they a performer? Are they always working on interesting projects? Are they doing things outside of it? The reason why is that there's a mixture of thoroughness and passion, right? If you can look and see like people that progress in there. So I just kind of want to see that. And then when I talk to a founder, I got to hear something about perseverance. What made you want to do this thing versus leaving your cushy job and benefits? Because entrepreneurship is hard. I tell people being a CEO is one of the loneliest jobs and how most difficult, frustrating, enriching jobs that I've ever had. You have to be prepared for that. I need to hear that, right? Because what your original idea is might not necessarily be the thing that, that you're going to succeed with. And like, I need to hear that you have the, the frameworks to think about how to evaluate trade-offs and evaluate success. The other thing too, for me, from a product landscape, I need to understand what your roadmap is. I need to understand what your near-term thing is, what your metrics of success are, and then down the line, like if you are successful, what does the world look like? A lot of folks focus on just the today, but they don't think about, yeah, if we're successful, we can change X, Y, Z. So, you know, for me, this is the last piece of how, how I evaluate having the vision and telling that story, right? A lot of times, especially black, black and brown folks, we, we try to fit our narratives into the box of what Silicon Valley tells us we have to have to go in order to go raise money. But our stories and the ability for us to tell our stories in a way that can resonate that to me is is something I always look for too as an angel investor. So, you know, I want to hear the stories of overcoming stuff. I want to hear how you were overlooked. I want to hear like all these things, but weave it into that standard format that this is what the problem is. This is what the solution is. I want to be able to see your personality because then that gives me the, the confidence that you understand how to play their game, but you also know how, how to, to keep your identity at the forefront as well. That's kind of how, when I'm doing diligence of things that I, that I look at. Thank you for sharing that. Honestly, I feel like you've given us the cheat code. I want to shift finally to what happens post-investment. So let's say all of those boxes get checked. You go through your framework for diligence. You decide to write a check. What does your engagement with the companies you angel invest in look like afterwards? Honestly, it just depends on the founder. Some folks, they need a little more love. Some folks don't. 
And so it's just founder led. I don't want to be super noisy because at the end of the day, you got infinite number of things that you got to go do. And so for me, it's just more so knowing that you can call me at any time and I'm a resource and like a real helpful one, not just like on some surface level shit. Like you can literally ask me about anything and everything. And if I don't know, I'm going to find somebody else that does. I'm here to be your, your break open in case of emergency. I try to do at least a once a month sync with all the companies that I've invested in just to catch up and see, is there anything I can help with or help you think through? Everybody needs things at different points in time. Just always making myself available as a resource as they need, but not being too too pushy. Because I've been on the other side of that, right? Like you get an angel check from somebody and every other week they're like, yo, what, what's happening? Like, oh, bro, just chill out. Like nothing's happening. Like software takes time. Uh, but yeah, just, just trying to make sure that I can always be available uh, for people. You've given us wonderful insight into what angel investing looks like in reality. I think through hearing your journey, hopefully our listeners will understand more how they can see themselves in you. But I always think it's important to have some tangible, you know, some goals, some mileposts. So I want to ask you, you said that you've learned about angel investing in the last few years. When did you actually pull the trigger on making your first angel investment? And if you don't mind sharing, how many companies have you invested in since then? I think the first one was probably a couple of years ago. I think I'm up to 25 or 26 or so angel investments. There hasn't been any exits so far. Markup game is crazy though. So I know I'm doing something right. And for people that don't know, it's like markups, like when you invest, are they getting subsequent rounds of investment at higher valuations? So yeah, I would say 90% of my portfolio is black or brown too as well. And which isn't, you know, I would say like anything of note, but I only invest in data, enterprise, and platform. So I, I literally see every deal that comes across my way because of just, again, having a thesis, being active, being helpful, having good references and stuff like that. So for me, it's just, you know, I'm doing what I can to help unblock. I mean, you've dropped so many gems on us today. It has been absolutely wonderful to have you. And we hope that the listeners will continue to follow your story and will continue to join the angel investing community after hearing a little bit about your experience. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the Harlem Capital More Equity Podcast. Make sure to catch our other episodes in the Angel Investor Series. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, be sure to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time.